0: The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin on Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lapin Show, where I, your Rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Yeah, welcome to you all. Welcome, all you happy warriors, you eager devotees of the Rabbi Daniel Lapin Show. Why do I call you happy warriors? Well, because I see every one of you, regardless of your age or condition, as either a beautiful and nubile woman or a handsome and virile man. This is because. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show focuses not only on your body, but also on your soul. And I suspect that almost every listener has a young and vibrant soul. What is more, we're all happy warriors because to live productively, you've got to fight every day against the forces of entropy, if nothing else. You fight to maintain your possessions. You fight to build and maintain your family and your business, your profession or your career. Look, life is a fight, and that's a good thing. To stop fighting, to stop seeking, to stop striving is to die. And I call you not just warriors, but happy warriors, because... To throw yourself into the fight for eight or ten hours a day, six days a week is one thing, but to do all that with a debonair smile on your face and a jaunty pace to your stride, to do all that while generating an irrepressible surge of happiness welling up in your soul, well, that means you are spiritually grounded in everything that is life-affirming you're devoted to your faith, your families, your finances, your friends, and you know that ultimately you can triumph over those who both intentionally and unknowingly promote a dark abyss of satanic secular socialism and the many social pathologies it generates, many of which we have seen in this past week or two, leading up to the confirmation of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Needless to say, uh, this show is being uh, taped at the beginning of the week, starting October the 7th, 2018. When I reveal how the world really works, it's in the hope that you will help defeat those pathetic creatures of modern secular fundamentalism, those orphans in history who possess neither Judeo-Christian fortitude nor even pagan ferocity, which frankly would be almost welcome, those hideous hermaphrodites and fanatical feminists running our media, education and government bureaucracies, who possess neither the strength of men nor the intuitive wisdom of women, <laughs> but what damage they manage to inflict. Well, never fear. Here on the Rabbi Daniel Appin Show, I solemnly commit to help you transform timidity to triumph. Together, you and me, we will replace diffidence with determination, and we will displace the divided councils of doubt with the steady eyes and firm hearts of those who, just like us, know where they are going and know just how they're going to get there. We strive for success, first with our families and our faith, then our finances and our friends forming bonds of the like-minded, after which we will then be ready to take on the formidable task of saving our frighteningly fragile civilization from those who would force us to surrender our freedoms and our souls to the whims and dictates of those who consider themselves to be our superiors, our elites, our betters, our bosses, and our rulers. But before we change the world— We have to change ourselves. And what a good start we have. Each of you happy warriors, a gentle giant with a huge and humble heart. Yes, we'll succeed. But before we make the world a better place, we have to make our homes and businesses better places. And then our efforts and our dreams become leveraged and together we achieve so much more. The two sure ways of building a bridge over the dark abyss of mortality is by building a family, building our finances, and connecting with others who share your worldview, or even others who share part of your worldview. The key thing is to connect. And in in doing so, we need to understand that people's outlooks are very much shaped by the positions they take on certain key fundamental and what I call existential questions. And once you have made a decision on those key existential questions, well, everything else follows somewhat coherently. And to those of us who have adopted different answers to those fundamental questions it is only too easy to dismiss the side of secular fundamentalists as people of low intelligence and foolish outlook but this would be a mistake underestimating the enemy is always perilous in the extreme now to subscribe to the views of secular fundamentalism, you don't have to be of diminished intelligence. You don't have to be foolish. You only have to have started out with a different premise, and I want to give you an example of what I mean. <laughs> you know, blessed with six wonderful daughters and uh, one son, uh, I can tell you that Uh, our sabbath tables in fact our dinner tables in general particularly when the children were just a little bit younger uh, were always uh, always very delightful but they they taught me considerable patience because very often questions would arise at the dinner table that required a discussion of a somewhat technical topic It might have been some algebra. It might have been uh, certain principles of thermodynamics. But look, before you start rolling your eyes at your rabbi attempting to discuss rules of thermodynamics at the dinner table, I have to tell you that while there are an awful lot of things I am really, really not good at. While there are an awful lot of things I have so much to learn about still, while there are so many things I am simply bad at, what I'm good at is navigating a boat. Well, wait, wrong time. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm also good at is explaining complicated topics. Um, in a way that makes sense to people who don't know much about that particular topic. That's what I do. And so... uh I urge you not to do what for a number of years my daughters would do when I would start on a topic. They'd roll their eyes extremely noticeably. No, more than noticeably. They'd roll their eyes conspicuously and obtrusively and demonstratively. They'd roll their pretty eyes uh, as if to say, oh, no, not again. Dad is off on some complex technical topic. But little by little, they came to see that if they did not turn off their minds, if they didn't shut off their intellects, if they didn't extinguish their natural curiosity, it was possible to understand at least the basic points I was making without having to worry about delving into the intricacies of calculus that might have been necessary for a... um, uh a, a numerical analysis of what we're ta- what we were talking about so let me give you an example of what i'm saying and uh, i urge you to bear with me um the binary system of counting is important today in a way it wasn't 50 years ago because computers work on the binary system now Uh, you might say, what's this got to do with anything? Bear with me, would you just for a moment? Because uh, I think you'll find it not only interesting, but useful as well. And I hope I'm right, because the entire uh, focus of this show is to provide value to listeners. Above all, I never want to waste your time. And so, computers operate on the binary system. What does a binary system mean? Well, we're accustomed to the base 10 system, which means that there is a zero and nine digits, or if you like, a total of 10 digits, zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then the next digit after you've counted now, you know, you start off and say, now there are no matches on the table, zero. Okay, here's one match, add a match, two, add a match, three, we're up to nine matches. When we add one more match, we don't say, and now we've got woggledy matches on the table uh, we don't we go we only use these 10 digits and we take the first one and we do it we add a zero to it and then we take the first one and we add a one to it and we take the first one and we add a two to it so we get uh, 10 11 12 and then when we get to 19 we don't go to wiggledy woggledy we say okay now we'll take the second Uh, the next digit, which is two, and then we'll add a uh, a, a zero to it, and then we'll add a one to it, and a two to it, and we'll get 20, 21, 22. So all the numbers we need are created out of 10 basic digits. Well, that's a base 10 system. A binary system, or alternatively a base two system, you can call it what you like, uh, depends on two digits, a zero and a one, that's all. And as soon as you understand it's, it's parallel to our accustomed base 10 system, then you see how it works. And the reason this is so important is because an electrical circuit um, can, can be an analog circuit where you can say, yeah, this circuit's carrying one volts, two volts, three volts, but it's not nearly as accurate as simply saying this circuit is either on or off, live or dead. And if we decide to call it off, and name that zero, and we call it one, and we name that on, well, now it is possible to create digital computers, which are very accurate, and very useful, and very quick. But to do that, we have to become accustomed to expressing all the numbers you and I need, Right. Uh, I've got uh, a check that I've got to write for seventy five dollars and twenty two cents to the electric company. Uh, how do I write seventy five dollars and twenty two cents in binary? OK, well, it's it's really very simple and uh, it, it might be useful if if you're interested in this. And I sure hope you are. Uh, it might be interesting if you go ahead and uh, take a pen and paper uh, in front of you. And uh, what I'll do is I'll I'll take a, a quick short break as we go into the next segment to give you just enough time to make sure you have a pen and paper and I'm really not going to devote more than another two minutes to this, but uh, I think those two minutes will be useful to you and will be mind expanding and will open up some ideas as well as allowing me to go into the topic of discussion today, which is about making fewer mistakes, diminishing the number of bad decisions you and I tend to make in our day-to-day lives. The website is rabbi daniel com. That's right, RabbiDanielLappen.com, and uh, the the resource I commend to your attention is the Thought Tool books. Now, uh, those are available in hard uh, hard copy, namely paper that comes to you in the mail, and there's a set of three books. Look out for the Thought Tool set. But uh, uh, I don't know if you are a Kindle aficionado, but um, this is turning out to be a, a real boon. Now, I also like real paper books. I'd say uh, two-thirds of my reading is on paper, but about a third of it is on on Kindle. And so if you went to Kindle and you looked for the Thought Tool uh, books by Rabbi Daniel and uh, I think you'll be pleased with the deal and it turns out to be something really useful. I am trying to demonstrate how it is that we commonly find secular americans dismissing religious americans as some kind of primitive fools we even had a powerful politician a few years ago speak disparagingly about many americans who cling to god and their guns you know and and it was said in such a tone of disdain and contempt Uh, as if people who follow the Bible and believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are somehow diminished in intelligence and they are um, simpletons. Uh, Another mistake people make is of course the other way around where religious people uh, say well secular people are blind and stupid. Uh, None of these things are true Uh, Very often, political conservatives think liberals are idiots. And of course, liberals uh, think that conservatives are dinosaurs and uh, obnoxious and very foolish and stupid and of low intelligence. None of these things are true. What happens is that in all of these cases, there is a primary fundamental question, which has two answers. And how you answer it then sets you on an inexorable path that is absolutely predictable. And you may think that you are exercising your freedom of choice, as, as I would. But the fact is that once you have made a decision about that fundamental question, the rest all follows almost inevitably. And the interesting thing is that uh, that fundamental question almost always has a default state, something that if you don't consciously contemplate it, you will come to a conclusion anyway. You will answer it one way or the other. And so everything follows from the fundamental question. And so very often, two people can be yelling at one another, saying, you know, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. You're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. And the truth is that neither is an idiot and neither is wrong. They both start or they each start, I should rather say, from a fundamentally different answer to a basic existential question. And so, bear with me, if you would, while I I give you an... This is like one of my favorite examples. So, I'm going to give it to you. This is an example I think you'll find useful, and I I only ask you not to roll your eyes like my daughters would do, and uh, instead... Grab your pen and paper and just contemplate this for a moment, because uh, the outcome is actually useful, not only for the topic of today's discussion, but also for the uh, understanding of so much of the digital economy today, the digital information age. Okay, so let's take a simple question. I might say to you, what is 11 plus 10? And you don't even have to think about it. You'll right away say 21, right? That's simple enough. And if you do think about it, you'll say, okay, here's 11, then I'll write 10 under that. 1 plus 0 is 1, 1 plus 1 is 2, and there we go. 21 is the answer. But meanwhile, I might hear that same question, and I respond, 11 plus 10, the answer is 5. And you say, I'm an idiot because everyone knows the answer is 21. And I say, you think the answer is 21. You're an idiot. The answer is five. How do you explain this? It's very simple. Very simple. You are using the base 10 system with which we are all familiar from the time we are toddlers. And in that system, there are uh, nine digits plus a zero. That's base 10. There's 10 possible alternatives and so 11 what does 11 mean well 11 means one ten plus one one in other words those columns are labeled from the right one 10 100 uh, i'm not doing a complicated or big sum of 100 today so it's ones and tens or you may have heard tens and units when you were in school like i did it was dumb they should have i mean units who knows what units are? i didn't but uh 11 is simply 1, 1, okay, Plus one ten, and 10 and 1, 11. Okay, I got it. And we're adding to that 10. What's 10? Well, it's zero ones, but it's one ten. <laughs> See, there it is, because the columns starting from the right in the base 10 system are 1, 10, 100, 1,000. That's, and so if you get a number, 1,321, reading from right to left, it means 1, 1, two tens uh three hundreds and one thousand you add them all up you get one thousand three hundred and twenty one uh you know you're you're sketching this out with your pen and paper it's making perfect sense to you no it really is i know some i know i know you're rolling your eyebrows stop it okay now uh, me i was using the base two system i thought in this digital age that's what we're talking about so for me one one doesn't just mean 11 one means one one and one two and so In other words, because the columns in the base 2 system are not like the base 10 system where the columns starting right to left are 1, 10, 100, 1,000. No, in the base 2 system, the columns of a number are 1, 2, 4, and so on, 8, 16, and so on and so forth. And so uh, the number 11 means 1, 1, and 1, 2. It means a 1 and two and a two and a one added together become a three so 11 actually means three in conventional numbers and 10 means zero ones but one two which just means two and so 11 plus 10 really means three plus two but let's let's add it up right put down a 1, 1, 11, and then under it, write a 1, 0. Now, you'll remember the way we did it before base 10, the odds came to be 21. But now we're going to use the base 2 system. 1 plus 0, well, that's straightforward. That's 1. Remember that in the base 10 system, when you reach 19 or 9, you go back to the beginning, 1 plus 0. When you reach 19, you go 2 plus 0. So, uh, adding our, our two numbers, 1, 1 plus 1, 0, we get 1 plus 0 is 1, and then we get 1 plus 1. But there is no 2 in the base 10 system. In the same way, there was no woggledygook gook in the base 10 system. And so 1 plus 1 is 1, 0. So the answer to 11 plus 10 is 1, 0, 1. Now, what does the number 1, 0, 1 mean? Well, it means starting from right to left means 1, 1, 0, 2s, and 1, 4. So it's four plus one, which is five. Um, I hope I hope that wasn't a way. I hope it wasn't a waste of your time. I don't think it is, because uh, if you just spend a few moments looking at it, you you see that it is possible for you and me to argue over what eleven plus ten is, and if we never ever discussed what the fundamental underpinning presumptions are, then we each cling to our viewpoint. And we're each correct, we're each coherent, we're each consistent, and we are utterly and completely incompatible with one another. You are base 10, and so you say 11 and 10 is 21, and you're right! And I'm base 2, or binary, and I say 11 plus 10 is actually 5, and I'm right! Exactly! Exactly! That is what I I want us all to understand, and so it is that uh, the basic rule, the basic and fundamental existential question underlying everything is really very simple, and that is... (laughs) Uh, Your initial response will probably be to laugh. And I'm happy to make you laugh, of course, because uh, laughter and happiness go together. That's good. It's wonderful. Keep a smile on your face. I don't want you to be miserable. But uh, if this makes you laugh, so be it. The underlying fundamental question at the base of everything is how did human beings arrive at this small speck of dust called planet Earth in the middle of a solar system, which is in the middle of the Milky Way, which is in itself a small galaxy on the outer edges of the universe. And so far, we have found absolutely no evidence of life anywhere else in the universe. And if we do, it doesn't worry me, that's fine. But if we don't, well, then we have a huge problem because for life to, ex- to occur accidentally, and on a random basis, in only one occasion, in all of the space-time continuum, well, that's frankly, plainly impossible. And so, the basic question is, how did we human beings arrive on this planet? Now, you might subscribe to the theory of Elon Musk, and he holds that uh, foreign little green aliens on some remote and distant planet put us here as part of a vast cosmic computer game to entertain themselves but i don't really take that approach very seriously if for no other reason than all it does is postpone the question of where did they come from so let's confine ourselves to the only two possible answers to that question one is that we were put here by a, uh, a good and loving God who created us in his image and placed us here on earth. That's one approach. I can't prove it, but how I live my life will be enormously impacted by how I decide to answer that question. This is why I've often said, that what a human believes tells me much more about him than what a human knows. You tell me about his beliefs, and I'll know much more about him than if you tell me about his degree and his qualifications and the body of knowledge he possesses. The alternative is that we arrived on this planet by activities of uh, lightning on methane gases which eventually produced amino acids and little by little over huge periods of time by a random process of unaided unaided no god involved unaided materialistic evolution primitive protoplasm turned into proctologists and plumbers into bookkeepers and ballerinas that's and and we shouldn't laugh i mean that's that is a belief system these are the only two ways of answering the fundamental question it's exactly the same as the fundamental question of do you use base 10 or base 2 and once you've decided that almost everything else follows in perfectly logical consistent coherent sequence you don't have to worry. It's all pretty straightforward from there onwards. Our uh, website: rabbidaniellappen.com dot com, and uh, you will find that um, if you go there, you'll be able to look at a wonderful resource called the Thought Tool Books. There's three volumes of Thought Tools. Uh, We are working on some future volumes, but right now there are three volumes. And what's great is that each one contains about 50 short Thought Tools, that each one of which provides you with a conversational matrix for a family dinner uh, for a get together, for a discussion, for a debate. Each one provides you with substantive insights that you can apply in your life, either in the area of faith or in finance, your friendships or your families. And uh, that's the thought tool, books at rabbi com. So, studying the underlying premise of the religion of secular progressive fundamentalism that's right secular progressive fundamentalism launches off the fundamental premise that human beings are here as part of a continuum that leads from bacteria through alligators to mammals to primates like chimpanzees, and finally to human beings. And that means that you and I are fundamentally no different, uh, at least qualitatively, we're no different from a fox terrier or a sheep or a kangaroo or a camel or a cow. We are qualitatively different uh, we run less quickly than some, we run more quickly than tortoises, we have less hair than some, more hair than others. Uh, these are merely qualitative, quantitative distinctions along the spectrum line, but qualitatively, we are all nothing but animals. Now, there are obviously some very real consequences to that. Uh, have you ever wondered why it is that uh, secular progressive fundamentalists, which, by the way, has a hierarchy as well, uh, it, it has its high priests. So for a period of time, and maybe it's still true, uh, people like Al Gore, you might remember the famous inventor of the Internet. <coughs> um Uh, would fly private uh, charter plane to events where he would screen his silly movie An Inconvenient Truth and talk about the dangers of excess carbon and you know people used to sometimes ask well we don't understand you know if he's so concerned about extra carbon why does he fly private and why does his huge mansion um, in Tennessee have so much uh, heating and cooling and I mean, it, it's it's just not very carbon friendly at all and it's a silly question the answer is very simple and that is that uh, the, the the religion of secular progressive fundamentalism has a hierarchy it has its high priests and their job uh, self-anointed as they are is to look after the masses if you've ever wondered why government bureaucracies, and and you understand that secular progressive fundamentalism is the official state religion of the United States of America, that is the religion of the American government, and uh, part of uh, its uh, its doctrinal approach is something that sounds very patronizing. You know, the idea you've got to do this for the poor, you've got to do this for these people. But why not consider the possibility that the poor in America are not a static group? People who are in the poor this year are not necessarily in the poor last year or next year. Um, So, for instance, a, a neurosurgery resident sharing an apartment with three other doctors uh, actually is classified as poor because his, his income is low, his living conditions are not particularly good. Uh, the fact is, though, that he finishes his residency uh, this coming summer, and his very first year on the job, his annual salary will be in excess of $300,000 a year. Uh, so he's moving. He's not the same. But wait a second, that's not part of how the religion of secular progressive fundamentalism sees it. Here's something else they do. Uh, People who may or may not have uh, groped a woman or done something disrespectful or or unpleasant, not criminal, but unpleasant uh, 30 or 40 years ago, they are still culpable. Why? Because... In the religion of secular progressive fundamentalism and in that religion we are all animals there is therefore no soul and therefore there is no such thing as atonement remorse spiritual growth and overcoming something from the past Uh, We for the most part we recognize that human beings are capable of feeling uh, mortification about things they did when they were young many years ago and to uh, to to grow beyond that and to overcome uh, some of that but that's only possible if you have a soul that's only possible if you're capable of growth animals are not a cow is a cow is a cow it was born a cow it'll die a cow and that's all it ever is human beings are not like that a cow is only as good as its ability to deliver milk and uh, to produce offspring. In other words, purely materialistic. But the value of human beings is quite different. Right? What, what Bill Gates accomplished right, was not materialistic. Um, it, was, it, it was spiritual. It came out of his brain. Extraordinary thing. And, and yet when Bill Gates was born, he didn't look that different from somebody else who was born and who turned into a vicious thug in later life. Human beings can go in different directions because we are not animals. We are unique. We are touched by the finger of God. We are humans. And uh, the fact is, uh, I don't know if this is true for you, but me, I certainly would not want to be judged today on what I was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I like to think I've improved. I'd like to think that I've worked on myself. If you're going to judge me, judge me the way I am now. Don't judge me the way I was then because I'm a human being. I grow or unfortunately, it's also possible for a human being to go downhill and to deteriorate in which case you still also have to judge him the way he is now. But, but that's the difference between people and animals. Now, with animals, we accept that animals do things on instinct. Uh, you know, we, we don't hold symposia to discuss how brilliant birds are for being able to navigate huge distances. We don't hold conferences to discuss the declining morality of dogs You know, we don't do that. Animals operate on instinct. Or if you like, feeling is another, you know, animals feel what they have to do and they go ahead and do it. It's uh, there's no choice involved. Notice that the religion of secular fundamentalism tends to ascribe exactly the same mechanisms to human beings that you cannot possibly blame. A person for robbery or murder because he grew up poor, which of course is a horrible insult to my grandparents and maybe yours, who were considerably more poverty stricken than anybody living in America today and never stole as much as a loaf of bread. But nonetheless, if your religion is secular fundamentalism, it's like deciding you operate in the base two binary system. Everything else follows. If you've established that in fact we are here as a result of nothing but a mechanistic, unaided, materialistic program of evolution, well then we're animals. And if we're animals, then obviously we operate on instinct and we, we, we can't possibly be blamed for what we do any more than a, a dog can be blamed for biting somebody or a, a lion can be blamed for eating a springbuck in the African felt. No, that's what animals do. And so the religion of secular progressive fundamentalism Views human beings in exactly that same way and takes this patronizing approach to all human beings on exactly the same basis that they can't help what they do. And when they do do something, uh, atonement is impossible, uh, salvation or redemption is impossible. You are what you are, and you'll always be exactly that. That is the grim and dark picture. Of the human being through the eyes of secular progressive fundamentalism. And this is why it is that in the culture that has been generated by that faith, the um, the approach is that feelings trump facts. Heart trumps head. And uh, I, I've spoken about this a little bit over the last few weeks. It, it could hardly be overstressed in terms of importance because if you think about it and what i'm about to tell you is as true for me as it is for you and that is that in the next 24 hours i think it's safe to say that in the next 24 hours you will have the opportunity to make at least three decisions that impact your life I don't know what they are, of course. Um, Maybe one of them is uh, whether or not to press the cursed snooze bar on your alarm clock tomorrow morning. Now, that is operating with feeling. That's your heart calling you. That's your heart saying, I feel like another 20 minutes in my nice warm bed. But uh, your head is saying, I set my alarm clock at the time I set it because I knew I needed to be up at that time. So you have a choice. Do you press the cursed snooze bar or do you just get up? That's one possibility. Maybe it's a question of uh, responding to someone's social overture that you know will lead to dark places. You know, heaven knows, particularly on the Internet, uh, it's it's very, very easy uh, to move a connection on the internet beyond a mere intellectual or electronic connection into something that uh, contains elements of emotional bonding and uh, there you know in in your circle as in mine you know people whose lives were upended because of relationships that were formed online again it's head versus hot. I wanted to. I felt like it. I was drawn to him or to her. Uh, Maybe it's uh, nothing more than yielding to your toddler's temper tantrum. When your head tells you, I've got to teach my child that my word means my word, that when I say no, it means no, that even if you scream and stamp your feet, even if it's in public, I don't change my mind on that. Uh, And my head says, I know that's what I have to do. My heart says, you know, I just haven't got the energy to fight with this kid anymore. Or or maybe it's uh, responding angrily to a work associate instead of smiling and postponing the continuation of the discussion. Right. What your head says, I know what I should do. Uh, I should really end the conversation here and say, uh, I, uh, I have a pressing engagement I have to get to, or I need to think about it. Can we continue this conversation tomorrow where you'll be a little cooler and you'll be able to uh, respond correctly instead of the way you're doing now? All right. Or maybe it's uh, spurning data and going with your gut. I always mistrust the phrase when people say, I just I want to go with my gut on this, uh, if you're going with your gut means going with what your head has evaluated the data to be okay but if your gut is just another word for your heart and following your feelings then uh, that would not be such a good idea right so these are examples of uh, of what we're talking about and um, and then uh, uh, Something very very interesting that I've been experimenting with over the last couple of weeks. I've been asking people where in the Bible do you find the verse, and you shall follow your heart. Where do we find that? And it's really interesting how many people. By you know again these are you know um, Uber drivers that have been taking me here or there. uh, People I've met on on an airplane. And so just in conversation I say by the way I'm doing a survey I'm just curious to know how many people know whereabout in the Bible it says and you shall follow your heart and uh, what's interesting is that the majority of people the majority of people respond by saying oh oh I, you know I just can't put my finger on it uh, but but I know I've seen it. Just give me a clue. Is it New Testament to Old Testament? I said, no, I don't want to give you a clue. Uh, you tell me. And uh, certainly the overwhelming majority of people I speak to tell me, yes, they do believe that somewhere in the Bible it says you shall follow your heart. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, in Numbers chapter 15, verse 39, among other places, uh, it says, and you shall not follow your heart to go astray, because the Bible recognizes that our heart generally leads us in the wrong direction. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't uh, have emotions, obviously, um, you know, if uh, if somebody is asked why he found, you know, why why did he marry his wife? Why did he, he start going out with his wife? Uh, you know, the correct answer is that uh, he was incredibly drawn to her emotionally. And uh, yeah, I understand that. Now, that's a very good reason to be drawn to a woman. It's not necessarily a good reason to marry a woman. And so, yes, the heart has to be there, obviously. But when it comes to making a life changing decision for that we use the head and uh, and so it is uh, with, uh, with 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 everything and that 's why the Bible is so absolutely firm about this point what 's really interesting is and if if you want to see it in writing, uh, you can go to the website rabbidanlapin dot com and look at recent thought tools and one of the thought tools that was published uh, end of september beginning of october two thousand and eighteen Uh, Was all about head and heart. It was, uh, I think it was called Feeling Your Way to Failure. And uh, that's exactly what we're talking about here. It points out that in the Bible, uh, there is meticulous attention paid to prepositions. And in many times, by the way, the English translation I've noticed is almost always wrong on this. Um, The English translation almost inevitably says, and he said to himself or she said to herself. The Hebrew always says, and he or she spoke to his or her heart. Uh, he or she said in her heart. She or she he said to her heart. Now, in, in many places it says to her heart or his heart. In many places it says in the heart. And here's the amazing thing: with absolutely a hundred percent consistency throughout Scripture, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, all I know. Whenever it's something good happening, it's he spoke to his heart, meaning. The head was not subsumed in the heart. The head is separate and the head talks to the heart. It's all very good. Um, God's in Genesis 821 says, and God spoke to his heart. (laughs) English translation often says he said to himself, but that's missing the whole point because in Jeremiah 1322, it's there. It says, and he said in his heart, and it speaks of uh, disaster and depravity. Esau says in his heart, I think I have to kill Jacob, chapter 27, verse 41 in Genesis. Yeah, that's right. He's going to kill Jacob. He said it in his heart because if his head was working, he wouldn't have made that decision. But his head said it was in his heart. So that's what happened Uh, in Psalms 14, verse 1. Again, speaking of disaster and and calamity, uh, he said in his heart. Uh, in the first book of Samuel, chapter 1, verse 13, uh, the um, uh, the pious and righteous woman Hannah uh, spoke to her heart. That's right. Uh, in Samuel 1, chapter 27, verse 1, King David, speaking of something good and positive, spoke to his heart. Again, consistently throughout Scripture, enormous emphasis on this idea that um head and heart are separate. As human beings, we're very aware of both. And as human beings, we also are aware that it's necessary to keep the head and the heart both operational, but to use the head rather than the heart when it comes to making key decisions, to use data rather than feelings, to use facts, not feelings, to use head rather than heart, to use brain and rationality over emotions now all of this is uh, a lot easier said than done of course because uh, our feelings are immensely strong we are drawn to things we feel like doing and it takes considerable uh, strength of will in order to resist that and say no i have to go with my head The good news is every time you do it, your ability to do it gets strengthened just a little bit. Conversely, of course, every time you yield to your heart, uh, you become a little more self-indulgent and in that sense, self-destructive. Think about it. It's a really, really important thing. Now, uh, the um, I tell you what we're going to do now. The the next and, and last segment of the show is going to be a speech I delivered for the Center for National Renewal. Uh, last Friday. I spoke. the event was being held actually in a beautiful room in the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. First time I've ever spoken in that I called it uh, uh, a foundational edifice of Western civilization. It is uh, the the Library of of the United States. uh, This is the library. Uh, It is, I believe, the biggest and most important library in the whole world. And uh, I felt privileged to be able to speak there. You'll hear how I introduced the uh, uh, my speech. All of that will be coming right up in the uh, in the next segment. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and that uh, that will be all. For now, the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Take a look at uh, the Thought Tool books at rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, I also would urge you to make sure you are on the mailing list for whatever mailings you want, either Thought Tools or Ask the Rabbi or Susan's Musings, preferably all three. Uh, I can't thank you enough for granting me the privilege of standing shoulder to shoulder with you and with so many old friends that it has been so wonderful to connect with and so many new friends I've had the opportunity to meet this morning. I'm almost overwhelmed. Here we are in one of the foundational edifices of Western civilization. I'm almost lost for words, but I think you'll all agree with me that pastors and rabbis are seldom lost for words. <laughs> Even that original first rabbi, Moses, stood at the burning bush and proclaimed to the Lord, Oh! I am not a man of words. And then he spoke nonstop for 40 years. <laughs> well, we have a few minutes together. And it's a few minutes in which I want to remember that what Moses began there was the first religious revolution in the history of the world. And a year later, they left Egypt, and seven weeks after that, they stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. And the biblically-based Judeo-Christian tradition runs in a straight line from there to us here today. there've been fantastic spiritual renewals it is unarguable that the very founding of america and the successful victory in the revolutionary war that took place because of the moral vitality that radiated from the pulpits of colonial churches yes. it is unarguable that when slavery was finally eradicated, the movement for abolition (coughs) was propelled by the Christian fervor that flowed from America's churches. And it is indeed time for one more great religious renewal. Because, my friends, We are in a war, and here's one rule about war that everybody knows, which is that he who doesn't realize it loses. Mm. We are in a war. Now it is not a war between blacks and whites. And it's not a war between rich and poor, and it's not a war between men and women, and it's not a war between Jews and Christians. None of those lie at the root of the religious struggle that is tearing apart a country, and whose manifestation of which we not only see all the climb, but we've seen in stark Technicolor in the last few weeks right in this very city, where the entire issue is the right to destroy a baby must remain national policy. What is this if not a religious struggle? That's what is going on. It is a war between those who view biblically based Judeo-Christian principles as primitive obstructions to the progressive agenda. Mm, Mm, And on the other hand, those of us here today, and those millions we represent who know that those biblically based Judeo-Christian principles are vital for our nation's very survival. Yes. Yes. Pastor Mike spoke at the beginning of this morning's proceedings about how difficult it is when we lack the key to understand and explain the war. When we lack the lens through which everything becomes clear. Well, one lens through which everything becomes clear is very simply... The answer to the most fundamental existential question of life How did we all get here? Yeah, yeah. How did people arrive on this planet? Now, discounting Elon Musk's vision that little green men in spaceships put us here as part of a vast cosmic computer game, the only remaining options. Oh, that the good Lord created us in his image and put us here, or alternatively by a lengthy process of an aided materialistic evolution, primitive protoplasm turned into ballerinas and bookkeepers. Okay. <laughs> oh, wait a you shouldn't laugh because it's kind of rude to laugh at other people's religious beliefs. <laughs> It is a religion. We have to understand that the word religion doesn't automatically mean Judeo-Christian, biblically-based traditions. A religion is a belief system. And the belief system that is driving frantic furies Fanatical and feverish attempts to derail a Supreme Court nomination, it's all religious. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. That is what's happening. We've got to understand that there are real life consequences to our beliefs. How we answer that question tells us everything. How we answer the question of how did humanity arrive on this planet? Well, that answers everything. In every possible way. I have to tell you a story about a teacher of mine who was traveling to Israel on an El airplane by one of those divine circumstances that humans often dismiss as coincidence for which no word exists in the Lord's language. The The person sitting next to him was the head of the Communist Party in Israel. This is going back a number of years. And uh, during the course of the flight, the rabbi's sons who were traveling with him constantly kept coming forward from their seats in coach to bring the rabbi food, to take his shoes, bring him slippers, bring him reading material. Eventually, the uh, the Communist Party head with whom the rabbi had been chatting said, I have to tell you something. Um, I'm amazed to see how your sons respect you and serve you. I've got four sons and in my whole life, I don't think I remember a time where they ever did anything for me. All that happens is I do things for them. And the rabbi said, don't be upset. Your children have followed your teachings as faithfully as mine have followed mine. You see, you've taught them that we are here as descendants of chimpanzees. That means they are one generation more developed than you. You are closer to the chimps than they are. It therefore makes sense for you to serve them. But my children believe that we are touched by the finger of God who created us. And that means I am one generation closer to that divine source. It is only appropriate that they serve me. My friends, how we live and believe and teach the answer to that fundamental question of how did human beings arrive on this planet, answers everything. It is absolutely inescapable. It's not only in the area of personal living that things are affected by how we answer that question. And I should tell you that if, in order to try and get a sense of where somebody you've just met stands, and you say to them, tell me, how do you believe that human beings arrived on this planet? Any time the answer begins with the word, well, that kind of means the other way. But everything flows from that. Think about what we really are saying. If Through a lengthy process of unaided, no God involved, unaided materialistic evolution, primitive protoplasm, became plumbers and proctologists, well then we've got to understand that we, human beings, are nothing but nine or ten dollars worth of common chemicals arranged by some accidental process, that's all, because there is nothing in the world that is not material. And that is why people who subscribe to that religion are believers in materialism only because there is no spiritual reality in that world. And so think about monetary policy. Money is in itself profoundly spiritual in the sense that there is absolutely no way to touch money. Oh, you can touch metallic discs or pieces of colored paper, or perhaps even look at zeros and ones on your bank's computer. But none of that is really money. Money exists because of a God-given system of human economic cooperation. It's no accident that no tyrannical and atheistic regime has ever created a functioning economy. It is not an accident that the words in God we trust do not appear on the walls of churches. They appear on the very currency. Because the founders of the country that has created the world's greatest engine of prosperity knew and understood that money is spiritual and a God-given idea. But if money is only material and there is nothing spiritual, well then it is subject to one of the basic rules of physics, which is that a material object can only be in one place at one time. If I have a saxophone on the podium behind me, and a few minutes later I turn around and it's gone, but it is now on the table in front of Pastor Mike, well it's very simple, he took my saxophone. It's not hard to figure out. But if I possess a tune, and you'll be relieved to know I intend no such singing, but if I had a tune, and I taught it to you, I've now given all of you a tune, I'm not less anything. I'm not missing a tune. The world is now a more musical place. A yeah. saxophone is physical. Music is spiritual. Spiritual. It's nothing but the vibration of air molecules until it reaches the human brain, the human heart, and the human soul. That's when it becomes music. Wow. The rhinoceros does not dance to any music. <laughs> this is something unique to we, touched by the finger of God. Wow. And so, if money, my friends, is, near, is merely physical, well then, if I had some. And now I see you have it, you took it from me. It's obvious. And therefore, the only moral approach is mass redistribution of money. It has to happen. It's exactly what a zookeeper or farmer of any responsibility would do if they discovered that their elephant or their cow had got more hay or straw or food than the other animals. He'd run in there with a shovel and redistribute it. Obviously, because animals are materialistic. Humans have a soul. It changes everything. Yeah. But the sister, please never say that believers in that religion are fools. They're not. They are wrong, but they are utterly consistent within the coherent system of that religion of secular fundamentalism They are absolutely accurate. If you start off that we are nothing but materialistic creatures of random and accidental evolution, then absolutely. Children must be educated to become little socioeconomic cogs in the machinery of the state. Yes. And if we are nothing but materialistic creatures of evolutionary and random accident, that it is entirely appropriate that money is held by government, the the farmer or the zookeeper in the beltway, they are the ones who are supposed to look after all of us mere materialistic animals. It is a completely coherent and reliable system, that is how it works. We've watched extraordinary events over the last week where otherwise intelligent and and one would hope responsible men and women listened to somebody violating the rules of Deuteronomy that only by the presence of witnesses can any matter be established. (laughs) And we have watched Otherwise seemingly intelligent and responsible people saying, I listened to him, her, and I felt they sounded credible. What are you? A conjurer? A wizard? You felt? Yeah. Yes. According to the religion of secular fundamentalism, feelings are all that matters. Heart is more important than head. Which is why one of the hymns, of secular fundamentalism is all oh, follow your, your heart. Yeah. Yeah. But ladies and gentlemen, in the book of Numbers, it says very clearly, you shall not go astray after your heart. Yeah. Yeah. And when the Bible says, judge honestly and accurately, Exodus 23.3, what is it saying? It says, don't favor thee, and with a thought, the next word would be rich. Because wouldn't you think corrupt judges would favor the rich? No. God says, don't favor the poor. Wow. What's that all about? Mm. Because God knows that when you abandon his book, when you abandon his way, the natural instinct is for you to become governed by your heart. And when you become governed by your heart, you start believing those for whom you feel are heart. But that's not the way of justice system to work. Only by witnesses shall a matter be established. But that makes perfect sense. Animals function on instinct. What is instinct? Instinct means you do what you feel like doing. And if we are also nothing but animals, which is the fervent belief of secular fundamentalism, an official government religion in America today, why then? human beings must also be driven by feeling that's very important friends this is really the war it's a war between the biblical faith of the judeo-christian tradition and the equally fervent committed vitally powerful religion of secular fundamentalism that's what's happening that is the struggle And the only hope for America, just as it was in 1776 and just as it was in the middle of the 19th century, here on the threshold of the 21st century, we are once again called to battle. You cannot evangelize for a political party, but you can evangelize for faith. And when we change hearts, everything else follows. When we lead people into the pages of His book, we have nothing to worry about because the coherent and consistent pattern that emerges from a heart that is committed to the biblical truth is not to be emotional, not to be materialistic, And we understand, obviously, to that religion of secular fundamentalism, of course, we must do everything we can to foment struggle between rich and poor, between black and white, and between everybody. Because these are all materialistic human decisions. But if I remember correctly, Martin Luther King said, look inside, not at the skin. Well, yes, because he subscribed to the Judeo-Christian tradition. But those who subscribe to secular fundamentalism, there is no within-tool. When a wolf eats the sheep of a rancher, we don't hold a symposium to discuss the declining morality of wolves. The wolf ate the sheep because he felt like it. And people want to kill babies. They feel like it. Yeah. Nothing is more important in the religion of secular fundamentalism than feel And in our world, nothing is more important than His Word. He who learns too late that there is a war, loses that war. It is an enormous privilege to stand shoulder to shoulder with you, do everything we can to bring about a fervent, passionate, exciting, undefeatable new Christian Renewal, here at the Center for National Renewal. And perhaps the only thing that this Orthodox rabbi should be doing now but won't, is to lead you in a a rousing rendition of Onward, Christian. And that, my friends, is as far as we're going this week. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I appreciate all you do in helping to promote it. I really do. Uh, So many of you uh, send out links to the the podcast or forward it on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever you you spend time. And uh, every time you do that, uh, some of the people you send it to, Stay and subscribe and stay involved, and I appreciate that very much indeed. For others, it's just an interesting thing. At any rate, uh, thanks for doing it. The website, rabbi com, and uh, the, uh, the resource I commend to your attention is called the Thought Tool Books. Um, you might also want to just get them on Amazon, get them on Kindle. Uh, they are a, a, a real bargain on Kindle. They really are. And, uh, it's not a bad way to, to read as well. Actually, better than I thought. I used to for a long time. I stayed away from Kindle. I thought I wasn't going to get involved in, in in digital reading, but about, uh, I don't know, maybe a, a quarter or a third, maybe even of the of my reading is actually on Kindle these days. So take a look at the Thought Tool um, volumes by Rabbi Daniel Lappin and uh, and also by Susan Lappin, both of us, and um, <clears throat> you can easily download that onto your Kindle if that's the way you go. So uh until next week i am your rabbi rabbi daniel lapin and i wish you a week of really good times in your faith in your family in your friendships and in your finance i'm rabbi daniel lapin god bless Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network.